Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch the blind man. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, don't even enter the village. The word of God for all of mankind. Now, as we listen to that story, I want us to press pause on that story for just a minute, actually rewind, because I think we have a tendency to jump to the good part, right? Like, we like looking at the dessert menu before we look at the actual menu, or we like reading uh, spoiler alerts about a show that we're watching. I don't, but my husband does. Or even just we like watching trailers that often, if we're honest, give away the best parts of the movie. So since we have that tendency of jumping to the good part, I want us to pause and rewind Instead of jumping to the happy ending, the part that makes us smile and feel comfortable. Because when we hear a story like this, we're quick to jump to the moral of the story being, ah, God heals. It's amazing. Look at what Jesus did. It's wonderful, which all of that is true. Don't get me wrong. But that's not all that this passage has to offer us. And so imagine with me for a moment what it must have been like to be this man. In fact, to help us imagine, because I know some of us have a hard time imagining things sometimes, I want every single person in this room, and kids, I'm looking at you, kids as well, every child, every adult, if you're online, I want you as well to close your eyes. All right, every single person. I'm looking, and if I'm seeing your eyeballs, then you're not closing your eyes. Close your eyes. And just don't fall asleep, but just hang out for a minute. And as I talk, just listen with your eyes closed. And I want you to imagine that you are this man. The only one who should not have their eyes closed right now is someone listening online who's driving. You probably shouldn't be looking at the screen and closing your eyes. So everyone, close your eyes and imagine that you are this man. Now he's blind, clearly, but he wasn't born this way. You might say, okay, how do you know that, Jessica? Well, he told us this himself because he compares what he assumes to be people to trees walking around. And so obviously he's seen people and he's seen trees. So at some point he wasn't blind, but for some reason, we don't know exactly why, maybe injury, disease, old age, he is now. And the passage says some people brought to him, him being Jesus, a blind man and begged him to touch him. So it seems to reason that these people, and most likely this man, knew what Jesus was capable of. 
And they're coming to him believing that he can heal him. And we don't know exactly what this man thinks about it. Maybe he's excited. Maybe he's skeptical. Maybe these people just pulled him up off the road and they're like, hey, dude, come with me. We're going to go get you healed today. And he's freaking out. We don't really know. But he's standing before this Jesus. And Jesus takes his hand and leads him out of the village. And at this point, I can, again, only guess at what this man is thinking. Maybe he's like, uh, where, are we, where are we going? Uh, I don't know this guy. Maybe he's leading me out back to grab my wallet, knock me out. Guys, this isn't funny anymore. Like, what's going on? But Jesus leads him out of the village, and he spits on him. He spits on him, and then he lays his hands on him. And this poor guy has got to be totally bewildered at this point. And Jesus asks him the question, do you see anything? Do you see anything? And then when he says, do you see anything, you've just been led out of the city And you're thinking at this point, something's got to be up. Something incredible better happen. And so imagine the incredible disappointment that you're feeling when you open your eyes, don't open them yet, and it's blurry. So what I want you to do, keep your eyes closed, but I want you to open them just a tiny bit, like if you're opening your eyes but you don't want anyone to know you're opening your eyes. Just kind of squint them open and look up here, but, but still not fully open. And just hang tight like that for a minute. This guy's been endured. He's endured being dragged around not once, but twice. He's been spit on by a stranger. And then this stranger has the audacity to build up your hopes. And your palms are sweaty. Your heart is beating. You open your eyes and it's blurry. Now you can go ahead and open your eyes entirely, rub them out. Hopefully nobody fell asleep here. I won't ask you to close your eyes again until we pray at the end. So, See, that experience is kind of like when someone is hyping something up to you maybe a new restaurant or a new dish at your favorite restaurant, and they're like, you got to try this. Maybe a movie, you've seen all the trailers, and, and you're excited to finally experience it for yourself, and then you finally try it, and it's just one big, fat disappointment. I mean, imagine this poor guy, this poor chump. And you might think, oh, well, it's not a huge deal. I mean, he did get healed. He was sent on his way, but uh uh-uh. I want you to pause. We're not moving too fast through this passage. What if he hadn't been? What if he hadn't been fully healed? I mean, surely this man in the midst of that moment when he opens his eyes and it's blurry must have thought for just a moment, maybe this is it. What if Jesus had chosen to leave this man in the midst of the disappointing and dissatisfying and disheartening blurry? 
Now, probably none of us have been in this man's shoes where we have been fully blind. Maybe we've experienced some loss of sight. But boy, have we seen blurry. And I'm not talking about blurry like when you take your glasses off and you can't really see very well, or blurry like if you open your eyes underwater in a swimming pool, which I've never done because I've heard it hurts, but some people do. I'm not talking about that kind of blurry. I mean, some of us, maybe even most of us, have found ourselves in the midst of disappointing and dissatisfying, disheartening points in life, where we've been in darkness for so long, and the prevailing thought in our mind is, why? And we don't understand why God didn't heal us all the way, why God didn't fix our relationship why God didn't mend my broken heart or broken community or broken nation. Why God didn't just fix this broken world all around us. Because clearly he's done it before. I mean, we've read testimonies, we've seen stories, we've seen these things happen. And so it's not that they don't happen anymore. But the couple down the road got their happy ending and I didn't. She got her Mr. Right, and he got his promotion, and I didn't. That family was able to find justice and reconciliation, but not mine. Why did I get blurry? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Even this blind man, for just a moment, must have thought, why? Blurry? Are you kidding me? See, blurry is when the people of Israel are wandering through the desert, and they're thirsty, and they're wondering why on earth Moses, God, led them out of Egypt where they knew and they were comfortable. And sure, they were enslaved, but at least they knew what to expect. And they're in this dry and weary land, and they couldn't see what God had in store. All they could see was sand and desert and despair. Why? Or blurry is the prophet Elijah after he's left this incredible moment on the mountain and he's running into the wilderness for his life and he's crying out to God, I'm the only one left. No one else follows you and, and I'm, I'm all alone. God, it's your move. Just let me die now. Why? Blurry is the disciples in the boat and Peter stepping out but then the doubt and the fear starts to creep in, and he begins to sink. And I bet you, in that moment that he began to sink, he started thinking, all right, this is it. I'm done. I'm gone. And everything was, in that moment, blurry. 
blurry. Even Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he said that none of the rulers of his day understood the wisdom and the glory that had been so long foretold in the prophets when it showed up in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Because he writes, if they had, surely they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Blurry is the women standing at the foot of the cross, literally looking through blurry eyes, clouded with tears, and thinking to themselves, this isn't how it was supposed to be. Surely, this isn't what it was supposed to be like. And the disciples standing there saying, we thought he was the one. But I guess we were wrong. See, blurry is when we look out at a broken world full of broken people looking at our own broken reflection in a broken, blurry mirror. And we just wonder, why? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. God, what are you thinking? Why can't you just fix things all the way? I know you can. I thought you were supposed to make things better. That's what people promised me when I signed on to this whole thing. And we squint our eyes really tight, and we open them up, and it's still disappointing, dissatisfying, and disheartening. So what do we do with blurry? What do we do with blurry? when we find ourselves in the midst of the uncomfortable, in this tension, and we can't see or understand what God is up to, and it doesn't make any sense, what do we do with blurry? Number one, we look up. We look up. It says Jesus spit in this man's eyes. He laid hands on him. He asked the man, do you see anything? And then verse 24, and he looked up. He looked up. He expected something to change and something to happen. See, when we're in the midst of blurry, we often forget to simply look up. And I'm not saying that when we look up, then that means everything's better, everything's clear, everything is fixed, because often it's not. But when we look up, it's like we are expectantly inviting God to work. We, in our hearts, are acknowledging that he is able to clear our vision and our understanding. It's like, for example, if someone told you, close your eyes, I have a surprise for you. So you close your eyes. When they tell you, all right, look up, you're expecting there to be a surprise, right? Like, we don't want to open up our eyes and it's like, <laughs> joke's on you, just kidding. We, we, we look up when they say look up because we expect there to be something. What do we do with blurry? 
Number one, we look up. But then number two, we have honest conversation with God. Now, again, think of this man. He could have opened his eyes, seen this blurry, and simply left it at, I can see. Right? Because that, that wouldn't be entirely false. If you're going from not being able to see at all to seeing blurry, that, that is, relatively speaking, seeing. And granted, it, it wasn't clear, but hey, beggars can't be choosers, and he could see. So he could have not said anything else other than, I can see, I see people. Granted, they're funny-looking people, but I see people. And my guess is that if he had just done that, he could have gone on his way and had a far better quality of life than what he was currently living. He, he could have made it just fine, walked a little slower and been a little more careful, but, but he could see. But instead, this man answered Jesus honestly, and he said, well, uh, this is what I see. It, it's kind of disappointing. Um, not, not quite right. When, when they said you could heal me, not really what I envisioned. It, I can see-ish. He was honest with his perspective, with Jesus, and really with God. I like to tell people, God can handle our honest conversations. That's what this man was doing. He was giving an honest evaluation of the situation. God can handle our disappointments and our questions. I think, again, of Job, who for almost an entire book of the Bible is questioning God, yelling at God, putting God on trial, and saying, okay, God, defend yourself, like, explain yourself, please, because I, I don't get this, and God doesn't sit there in the book of Job cringing like, oh, that, that's a toughie, I kind of not sure I can answer that one, kind of hoping you weren't going to ask me about that question, no, God doesn't do that. God can handle our honesty, even our brutal honesty, every single time. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of blurry, in the midst of disappointing and disheartening and dissatisfying, lay it out before the Lord. Tell him about it. Say, Lord, from my perspective, this is wrong. What I see is broken and messed up, it doesn't make any sense, and I'm not okay with that. God's not going to say, oh, yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. My bad. Whoops. Like a little kid trying to, like, hide a, a stain on their clothes. Like, oh, what, what, what stain? What are you talking about? That, oh, that stain. No. God doesn't pretend like he didn't see this was happening. He's not surprised by what we see. He knows it's not right. 
So then you might say, okay, Jessica, well, I've looked up. I've laid out my honest perspective before the Lord, but nothing's changed and it's still blurry. So what do I do with that? We wait for the second touch. We wait for the second touch. Now, what's the second touch? What, what happens with the second touch? Well, in this passage, passage, Jesus, one, touched the man's eyes, and he opens them, and it's blurry, unclear, and he can tell that it's not quite right. But then it says that Jesus touches his eyes again, And this is the only time in scripture that Jesus does this. Like every other time he does a miracle, it's like, boom, you're healed, it's done. This is like a gradual miracle. It doesn't fall in line with all the others, and perhaps it's just a reminder that God can't be fit into a box. But when Jesus places his hands on this man a second time, what happens? Passage says, he opened his eyes, His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is the result of this second touch. Now, when I'm talking about this second touch, it doesn't just mean like second time, although in this case it is like literally one, two. But what I'm calling the second touch is the full and complete work that only God can do in us. It's God's own hand through the Spirit opening our eyes fully. See, these two results, restoration of sight and the man's seeing clearly, don't just apply to the physical. Scripture uses that word restored to talk about physical restoration of sight or in the passage with the man who had a crippled hand and it says it was restored but it also uses it to talk about the restoration that all things will endure through Christ. It paints this this picture of the one who holds all authority, God, asserting and bringing forth his rightful authority in full and setting all things right. And then this word, clearly, as in he saw everything clearly, it literally translates to something along the lines of, like, the end, the eternal, the final radiance. It's kind of this picture of dawn, of daybreak, that moment where the darkness ends and light starts to creep in makes me think of like the closing act of a play. When everything is finally brought to light and it all makes sense and all the plot twists and the cliffhangers and the conflicts are resolved and the curtains close and everything's been made right and then the house lights start to come on. See, when we read that this man's sight was restored and he saw clearly, immediately we often think, ah, well, his eyes were literally physically open. And yes, they were. But that's not where the second touch work 
ends. There's more to it than that. See, right after this story, we find Jesus walking with his disciples, and he asks them, one, who do people say that I am? And their response makes it evident that they're kind of in the blurry. They're, they're not totally seeing yet. They say, well, some say John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks them again, more pointedly, who do you say that I am? And God, at work in Peter's mind, opens Peter's eyes, reveals to him the truth, and he says, you are the Christ. In Matthew's account of this same story, Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father God revealed this to you. Boom. That's the second touch that I'm talking about. Their eyes are opened to understand though most everyone else at that time was still stuck in the blurry. Or think of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, describes this, t this second touch, not with those words, but he talks about how no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But then he says, now we have the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The spirit at work in us, revealing the ways of God to us. That's the second touch. See, what I'm kind of dubbing the, the second touch is that mystery, that work, that only God can do in us. That we don't always understand that brings about full and total restoration and by his wisdom and power and authority opens our eyes to clearly see the end, the final, the eternal closing act and all its brilliance and glory happening right now and in the future. And one day, Jesus Christ will himself return to earth. He will restore all things. Paul writes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every eye will be opened to clearly see who he is in all his splendor. There's the second touch again. When we are in the midst of blurry, we look up, expecting God to work. We lay out our honest perspective before the Lord, confessing, I don't see things clearly, and I don't want to settle for blurry. And then we wait for, we long for, even ask for that second touch for God to bring about his full and complete work starting in our own hearts and to open our eyes so we can see clearly. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 119, verse 123. They write, My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Wait for the second touch. And here's the thing about this second touch. I wish, I really, really wish that I could tell you when this was going to happen or how it would happen even. 
but I can't fully comprehend that. God may work and move like he did with this man, or he may choose not to for reasons that I I cannot understand. But I know, and hear me carefully on this, I know that if God doesn't deliver that second touch here and now like he did for the blind man, which he does, because he's alive and he's well and he's working. But if he doesn't, he will open our eyes and restore all things with the final touch of his return. And if we, while we've been here on earth, have chosen to follow and align ourselves with his will, we will get to see and experience the final restoration of all things. See, blurry is just an opportunity for us to recognize and acknowledge that things aren't quite right and that something else is yet to come. And once we recognize that, blurry actually offers us hope because it tells us God is still working and he's not done yet. It's like an unsolved mystery that suggests that somewhere out there there's a solution and we just, we don't know it, but just because it's unsolved doesn't mean there's no solution. The mystery of blurry suggests, even promises, the hope that is still out there because God is still at work. And if you are within the sound of my voice, this opportunity for hope is still available. In his book, Surprised by Hope, scholar and theologian N.T. Wright describes how this hope is wrapped up and around the person and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. It's because Jesus conquered death and brought forth life that we can have hope in the midst of this blurry that I'm talking about. Because the blurry we see now acts as a signpost pointing from the world as it is to the world as it is meant to be, what God has in store. And he writes about how while we're in the present, in the blurry, in the disappointing, the dissatisfying and disheartening, where we don't understand right now between the hope brought about by the first Easter and the hope of the future, we are to live as resurrection people, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second, that which is yet to come. There's a second touch again. What do we do with blurry? We see in it the void waiting to be filled either now or in the future with the work and hope of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the times you choose to open our eyes. But thank you also for the times you choose in your sovereign wisdom to leave us in 
the blurry, though we don't understand it. Because, Father, in the blurry, we find the opportunity to see you at work. We have faith that there is still hope. And so, Father, fill us more and more with your spirit. Open our eyes so we can see clearly. And if you choose for our vision to be momentarily blurry, help us to seek your second touch, your work, all the more. And Father, in those moments, be our vision for us. You are our hope. We ask all these things in the hope and promise of your power at work. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.